The words that I'd like to direct your attention to are found in the book of Acts. We'll be reading Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we are... We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Please pray with me now. Lord, we thank you for the the moment that we come to in the life of our church as we consider to add more leaders in particular. Lord, we want to rightly understand this office. And we want to, to rightly utilize the men that you appoint to serve in this office. We want, and we know that your word gives us everything we need for life and godliness and for the governance of the the church. And so we ask that you would give us clarity that we might rightly understand your purposes for deacons again. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Again, as I mentioned, it is is a tremendously encouraging time for our uh, life as a church uh, because in seeking to bring on new leaders, it's a significant step. Um, And I think you will immediately find the impact uh, from them in their service. And wanting us to rightly understand the offices of church leadership, I thought it'd be wise just to explain what are those offices. And uh, a few weeks ago, I, I spoke to the work of elders uh, from First Peter chapter 5. And I thought it'd be also wise for us to look at God's um, uh, office that he's appointed for the church of deacons. And uh, by way of introduction to this topic, I want to actually begin by looking at a fairly obscure verse uh, regarding deacons. um, And that is Philippians chapter 1. And it has great relevance. It's obscure, but it has great relevance for deacons, as you'll see. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Now, the simple verse is important because it actually demonstrates three things about the office of deacons. First of all, elders and deacons are the only offices that the, the, the Bible would point to as offices of church leadership. We saw previously that pastors is just another term for elders. They're the same role. Um, they just emphasize the, the terms just emphasize different aspects of their roles. Um, one could technically add apostles as a third office, but that office closed when the early church was established, so it's no longer around. And so really only elders and deacons are the, 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 the only Bible-appointed church offices 
Um, so there, there's no biblically appointed worship leader or Sunday school superintendent or ministry directors. And there's nothing wrong with those titles or having people serve in those roles in a church, but those are roles that our culture has established. Um, and for better or for worse, there's nothing wrong about that. But we, as we want to be a biblical church. And so in wanting to be a biblical church, we want to identify what are the offices that the Bible says are important for the church to have. And both elders and deacons are the biblically established roles. Um, and so we should strive to pray and have these offices filled out of obedience to Christ and out of a love for his church. The other thing this verse shows us is Paul assumes a local church should have men serving in both of these offices. And then thirdly, Paul assumes both have a responsibility over the congregation as leaders because he separates them from the other members of the congregation in this introduction. And he, and he addresses them on an equal level, elders and deacons. That's significant. The roles of pastor and elder, I think, are fairly well understood, at least more well understood than deacons. There's a lot of confusion in the church about what do deacons do. Um, and so I thought it'd be wise for us to examine some texts. The office of deacon is actually only mentioned three times. The first is in Philippians 1. We just read that. Uh, second is in 1 Timothy 3, where Paul outlines the qualifications for that office. And then the third is Acts chapter 6. And it's debatable even on whether it, it speaks to deacons or not. I think it does. And I'll explain why in a second. But I actually think it gives the most instruction on to how deacons functioned within the local church. And so if you would turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, that's where we're going to spend most of our time there. And you'll see this text um, really answers five questions about deacons. What a deacon does. Now, what does it take to be a deacon regarding its qualifications, a man's qualifications? Thirdly, why does the church have deacons? That is, what's the purpose of deacons, ultimately? And what is the church's responsibility to deacons? And then, fifthly, what does a good deacon look like? What's a good example of deacons? So these are the questions we want to answer this morning. Let's start with that first question. What does a deacon do? That is, what is the role of a deacon? Uh, this passage, again, represents the initial establishment of deacons, when they began, when the office began in the church. And I think it also presents to us both their purpose and their roles. First, it shows us that they care for the practical and physical needs of the church and the community. They care for the practical and physical needs of the church and the community. The word serve in verse 2 is where we get the word deacon from. It's the word, Greek verb diakono, uh, which is translated to serve, as you'd imagine. Uh, the noun form is used uh, a few more times in the book of Acts, and it always has to do with providing physical relief to the needy. Uh, I'll look, look at a couple of those passages. If you flip to Acts chapter 11, a couple more pages over, Acts eleven twenty nine, it says, so the disciples determined every one according to his ability to send relief, daconia is the word, to the brothers living in Judea. And then in chapter 12, just one more chapter later, it says, 
and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they completed their service. That's diaconon, bringing them John, whose name bring with them John, whose name was Mark. So putting the use of this noun alongside the verb diaconeo used in Acts 6, it clarifies the purpose of deacons. They were tasked with meeting the real physical, practical needs of the church body. So what's the difference between the way a deacon serves and how other members of the church body serve? Because we're all called to serve, right? First Peter chapter four, verse 10 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's various grace. And he lists some of the various ways we've all been gifted. We've all been gifted with some sort of spiritual gift. If you're a believer, if you've been born again, the spirit dwells within you and he wants to work within you to serve the other needs of the body. And so he wants you to serve in some capacity. We should all be serving some way. So if we're all supposed to be serving as servants, what makes deacons unique? Well, as part, as part of his doctoral dissertation, Clarence Agin completed an extensive word study on the use of the word diakon, the Greek word diakon. And he examined the 770 uses of this word in the early church writings. And he concluded that the word refers to uh, four primary things. We'll look at those. First of all, it's table attendance, a waiter, server, attendant with the duties of serving food and drink, waiting on tables, meal service, or the preparation of a meal. Already we know Jason fulfills that (laughs) very well, that role. Um, Which is why, like, half the church goes to his community group. Uh, Cut off the food, and we'll see. We'll see what would happen. Um, uh, This word is used this way in Luke 17.8 in John 2.9. Also, domestic attendance. A domestic servant or a slave with the function of performing a wide range of household activities, attending to the personal needs of their master. It's used this way in Matthew 25, 44 and John 12, 26. Uh, It could refer to communication or delivery. So an officially commissioned messenger who would be sent to, to, to give a message from a superior to his subjects. Use this way in Romans 16.1, 2 Corinthians 3.3, Ephesians 3.7. Also, agency or instrumentality, one who carries out the will of another or a task on behalf of another. And in many contexts, this idea is that of a subordinate carrying out the assignment on a superior's behalf and having the full authority of that superior to make sure that task gets accomplished. After all his research, Egan concludes that the best way to understand the term deacon is in that fourth usage, that as an agent of the elders. And this brings us to the second way deacons uniquely serve the church. They, again, first physically serve for the practical and physical needs of the church. Secondly, they're agents of the elders of the church. And this is actually very much in line with uh, BDAG, which is kind of the most prominent Greek dictionary. It defines the word as one who gets something done at the behest of a superior or an assistant of someone. So you could think of deacons serving uh, similar to how the president's chief of staff serves the president. They hold a leadership office of significant responsibility and dignity 
that seeks to serve under the authority of the person over them. So where the elders are tasked to shepherd Christ's flock by explaining God's word, Christ's instructions to the church, deacons are appointed to make sure God's people are properly cared for. So the emphasis for elders is put on teaching and leading and and explaining the word and applying the word and giving counsel where and then deacons are appointed to help care for the practical needs of the church and they work together and according to early church fathers this is how they continue to serve the church in its early history alexander strauch writes this in his book on deacons from the post-apostolic literature of the next three centuries, we see that the deacons became closely associated with the church's charitable relief work. They were regularly, but not exclusively, associated with the care of the poor and the sick and the distribution of charitable gifts. In fact, in Rome, quote, the social tax task of the deacons appears to be so extensive that subdeacons were assigned to assist them. This is a huge need that the church had. The third thing Acts 6 shows us about the role of deacons is that they free up the elders to focus upon their responsibility. Twice in this brief passage, the apostles recognize the importance of the elders not being, or the apostles actually in this context, not being distracted from their responsibility to study and preach the word of God and to pray. But as important as this need was, They recognize that's not the only need in the church. Yes, the church desperately needs to hear from God's word. That's how we're fed. That's how we're instructed. That's how Christ leads us as our head. But there's also a need for the church members to give, get the care they need. Because this was significance to the church and the weight of the authority they carried Deacons need to meet certain qualifications. And that brings us to what are the qualifications of a deacon? From the outset of the church, we see that deacons were not identified based upon their skill or their experience. They're identified based upon their character. Look at verse 3 again. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation full of the spirit and of wisdom that we may put in charge of this task. And that's worth us pausing and thinking about because that is not the way the world usually works. I mean, if you run a business, you want to find people that function according to their task. You don't really care about their character unless their lack of character somehow hinders income or would undermine your business. You want the job to be done. Care about money. But that's not the way the church functions. And this is massively important because I think it's, it's one of those things that's frequently overlooked when we seek to identify who should best serve in the church. The church as an institution has various needs, and so we try to think of who are the experts among us who could best fit these needs. But that's not how we should think about it. Instead, we should think about who are the, who are the godliest people among us that we can trust to help care for the needs of the church. These men weren't identified based upon their success and skills or their experience or their occupations. But based upon their love for Christ and their faithfulness. 
Because in the church, making followers of Christ is the goal. It's not like a business that seeks to make money. Making followers of Christ is the goal. And if the leaders of the church aren't model Christ followers, then you can imagine where the church is going to follow them to. It won't be towards Christ. It'll be towards something else. So let's look again at Acts 6, verse 3. The apostles seek men whose whose character is based upon, first of all, good reputation. Literally, they have... They are people who have a good witness. They are people who are well spoken of. Uh, if you were to mention this person's name in a crowd, they would, the, the, the crowd would go, yeah, we respect that guy. Whether they're believers or unbelievers, they'd be trustworthy. They're the kind of people you'd have no problem testifying in a court of law. And, and, and the, the people would recognize this person's a trustworthy witness because they speak the truth. They're faithful kind of person you'd be eager to have write a reference letter for you and you'd be eager to write a reference letter for secondly they're men who are full of the holy spirit that that term describes their godly character they're men who it is evident the holy spirit rules their life like they're not just occasionally loving but their life is defined by love joy peace patience kindness goodness self-control, faithfulness. They make decisions based upon what would most honor God versus being guided by their flesh. They're not asking, what, what do I want? They're asking, what would most please God? They're also men who are full of wisdom. This points to the fact they need to be men who make good decisions. And biblically speaking, wisdom... If you were to look at how the Bible defines wisdom, it defines wisdom as the ability to discern God's will. The wise person is the one who, given a difficult, complex situation, has the ability to understand God's will. They have a, they, so deacons need to be able to have a solid grasp of Scripture, because if you don't have a solid grasp of Scripture, you're going to have a hard time discerning that. So they need to be men of the word who discern the word well. So they're not just servants, but they're leaders of the church. And so they need to be trustworthy and dependable with a heart to selflessly serve and put others' interests above their own. And the character qualities of a deacon are further delineated by Paul's first letter to Timothy. And I would invite you to turn over there because it's such an important passage. It's where we get an extensive list of qualifications for for deacons, and you'll know, in fact, we looked at this a few years ago as a church, the, the qualifications for deacons parallel those of the elders, with just a few exceptions. First Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 8 through verse 13. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their lives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. 
For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And so for the sake of time, we're not going to get into each of these qualifications. But again, you'll note they parallel those of elders. But I do want to point out how they're distinct from elders. First, Paul tells Timothy that deacons are required to be examined and approved. Now, I think he assumes elders should be too, but he's explicit that deacons need to be examined and approved. And the need for such high character qualifications and the need for a public examination shows that there's weighty significance to their responsibility. They're not, it's not just an honorary title. They have massive authority and significance. They're going to be making weighty decisions. And they need to be trustworthy, godly men. And for this reason, I want our deacons to attend and participate in the elder meetings. And and that's because they need to know what's going on. They need to know what the elders are concerned about. They need to know um, what are the needs, what are the gaps that need to be filled. If they're going to properly care for the church, they need to know what's going on in the church. And so they will participate with the elders as we seek to, to work together to clarify God's will for the church. And again, I emphasize this because often churches simply give people the title of deacon because they just want to honor them because they've been faithful servants for so long. And it, it's kind of like giving a janitor the honorary title of, you know, custodial engineer or something. Um, but this is not just an honorary title. We want to honor all the servants in our church, regardless of how they're serving. This is an office, and it's an office of leadership. And so if a, a deacon asks you to do something, they, they carry with them the authority that the, that, that, that the elders have in asking you to serve, or to, if they're challenging you, if they're confronting you. They're leaders in the church. Moreover, uh, this is an office that God appoints men to serve in. They're not just, again, they're not just ways the church seeks to honor men, but it's, it's an office that God appoints men to. And I say that based upon what Paul says to the elders in Acts twenty twenty eight. I'll read that verse to you. Paul says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. He explicitly says the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, again, he's speaking to the elders there. But the reason he made God appointed those elders, those overseers, was to care for the church of God. And so it's just logical, given the other office whose designation is to care for the church of God, that God also would appoint deacons just as he appoints elders. It's not explicit, but I, I believe it's implied. And so how does the Holy Spirit actually appoint these elders? What process is used? I would say it's the same process where how the deacons were were appointed. Evaluation of a man's character and faithfulness over time. Then it would be followed by an affirmation by the rest of the church that men should serve in this office. Again, look at Acts chapter three, verse uh, chapter six, verse three. The, The apostles ask the brethren Pick out from among you seven men of good repute. So the church already had these 
These people were identified by the church as godly men. The church had a role, a responsibility. And then the, the, the apostles affirmed what these, the, the, the church identified. These are men fit to serve as deacons. And then they set before the apostles, verse 6, and then, then the apostles prayed and laid hands on them. What's significant here, is this the same traditional process of affirmation, identifying a man set apart for God by a special work that is used for elders and apostles and, and prophets? They, the, the person already serving in that office lays hands. And when we next week, when we install uh, men into this office, um, I'll begin by laying hands on those appointed to serve as elders. And then the elders will lay hands on those appointed to serve as deacons. And that's not an insignificant symbol. It's just like in the Old Testament, when a sacrifice was offered, the, the, the sacrificer would lay their hand. And it's, a, it's actually they'd lay their weight onto it. It's a way of signifying that this animal is now symbolizing me. And this animal is going to be sacrificed. They're going to die because I deserve to die on account of my sin. It's taking my place. And so when these deacons are appointed by the apostles to serve here in Acts chapter 6, the apostles are saying, these deacons represent us. They are, rep- they, they are our image bearers, so to speak, if I could use that term. And so when they ask you to do something, when they give instructions and they give direction they have our authority. That we are intimately identified with them. Just like a husband is intimately identified with his wife. They work together. They're a team. That same sort of unity is seen between the, the apostles and deacons here in Acts 6. And I think it gets carried on for elders and deacons in the church. Second, there, there is a unique difference between elders and deacons, though. Uh, because the qualifications parallel those of elders, except deacons are not required to be apt to teach. Their role is not primarily teaching. That doesn't mean they can't teach. They might be great teachers. In fact, Stephen, we'll see in uh, the, ch- the chapters that follow, is an amazing preacher. And yet his heart was particularly devoted to serve the needs of this church through service. Their primary role, the deacon's primary role, their passion is to serve under the elders to meet the practical needs of the church. Whereas elders are going to be drawn to teaching of the word and for shepherding the body and caring for the souls of the people uh, through instruction of the word of God. This brings us to the third question. Why does the church have deacons? Well, the reason the church has deacons is actually rooted in in the theological principle that God has a very tender heart towards the weak and the needy. Not just people's physical needs, but their, sorry, not just their spiritual needs, but also their physical needs. The Bible repeatedly emphasizes God's concern for the needy. Turn to Psalm 12, 5. says because the poor are plundered because the needy groan i will now arise says yahweh i will place him in the safety for which he longs like that's what gets god going when he sees the needy groaning and nobody's there to, to help them to care for them to meet a need 
So when these, um, the, the, these widows are being overlooked in the daily distribution of bread and they're crying out, hey, we need help. These deacons the, the, and the apostles, they recognize that's a concern because there is nobody in earshot of the church that should be overlooked. If there's a needy person that's being neglected, that's a problem because that's near and dear to God's heart. Psalm 146.9 says this, Yahweh watches over the sojourners. That is the alien, the pilgrim. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. So those who are in a position of weakness and vulnerability, they have God's special attention. Caring for the needy was a critical part of the Mosaic Covenant. Deuteronomy 26.12. It says, When you have finished paying all the tithe of your increase in the third year, the year tithing, then you shall give it to the Levite, to the stranger, to the orphan, and to the widow, that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. So this was, a, this was an issue all the way back in the establishment of Israel as a nation. God wanted to make sure that the needy are cared for. It's also why James declares that true religion will have the same heart. A person can't gl- declare that they're a, a faithful follower of God if they neglect widows and orphans. They don't keep themselves unstained by the world. James one twenty seven. And this is why John tells Christians to sacrificially care for their needy brothers. First John 3, we know love by this. What does Christian love look like? We know it by this, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or tongue, but in deed and truth. So this is, this is throughout the scripture because this is God's heart. And if you're a follower of God, you're a follower of Christ, this needs to be your heart as well. And if the church is exemplified by being followers of Christ, this should be evident in the church as a whole. The institution of the church should be making sure they're caring for the needs of those around them. They're not cutting them off. The needs of the church members is, is, a, is, a, is critical to God's heart. And this is why in the beginning of the church, when the apostles recognized the meeting members were being neglected, they cared enough to meet those needs. At the same time, they were also aware that to continue to make sure those needs were met, that was going to take massive demand upon their time. And they didn't want to neglect their primary responsibility to teach because that's really that's the ultimate need of the church we need to hear the word of god that's how we're instructed that's we should be that's why we should be coming to church every sunday that's why we should be in the word on a daily basis meditating upon it studying it memorizing it because that's how we're spiritually fed and it was this event that established the office of deacon for the church so that the Apostles, the leaders, the pastors would maybe not be drawn away from this responsibility to teach and to pray for the church. So this brings us to what is the church's role? What's the church's responsibility towards deacons? Well, first of all, they, they have a role in, a, in, in the process of evaluating and affirming deacons. 
As he says, therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men. So this was a spiritual appointment that the men, the men's character should be evident, recognized by the church. Secondly, we have a responsibility to submit to their leadership and decision making. So although they're not teachers within the church, they're still appointed leaders and their assistants to the elders. And as the author of Hebrews exhorts us, following them will be for our benefit. Hebrews thirteen seventeen, obey your leaders. That would include elders and deacons and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So we need to submit to them. Thirdly, we should be pursuing the same character ourselves. We should all want to be defined by having a good reputation, by being full of the Holy Spirit and being wise. And who are eager to sacrificially meet the needs of those around us. Finally, what does a good deacon look like? Well, the seven deacons ordered, sorry, ordained in this chapter, uh, you'll notice that Stephen gets the most attention. He's mentioned here, but then he gets a great attention as he stands up and preaches to the leaders of Israel and is eventually stoned to death. And, of course, Paul oversaw his stoning. That was before he was saved. And he provides, that is, Stephen provides a remarkable example of godliness for all future deacons. And I think for all Christians to emulate. Firstly, he faithfully and humbly served the needs of the church. He was eager to put his name first on the list. Secondly, he boldly proclaims the gospel to a hostile crowd. Even though he knew this message wasn't going to go over well. He preached it. And he preached it clearly and boldly and with extreme love. And you'll notice even as he closes, even in death, even after he's being stoned and cursed, he prays for his enemies. He wasn't self-focused. It wasn't about him. He wasn't serving so that people would admire him and make his life more comfortable and more pleasing. No, he, he laid down his life for the church. Another lesser known example of a deacon in the early church was a young man of Spanish origin named Lawrence. In the year 258, Lawrence was serving as one of the seven deacons appointed to serve the church in Rome. The Roman emperor at the time, a man by the name of Valerian, actually hated the church and he decreed that all of the leaders of the church needed to be executed and all the church's property would be confiscated. He ordered the pastor Sixtus II and four of the deacons to be beheaded. But he allowed young Lawrence to stay alive because he appointed Lawrence he said, what I want you to do is I want you to go gather all the church's property and bring it here. And in three days, you'll deliver it up to me. You do that and you can keep your life. In response, Lawrence took the next three days to distribute all the church's wealth to the sick and the needy. So he took everything he had and made sure any needy among them got, got the wealth. And so in three days later, when Valerian showed up, 
and asked for the church's treasure, Lawrence responded by pointing to the weak and the poor who were with him. And he said, this is the church's treasure. And according to both Ambrose and Augustine, Valerian in a rage responded by having Lawrence roasted to death on a gridiron. However, they also note that many who witnessed Lawrence's execution ended up being converted. And among them were several senators. As Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Such is the ambition of God's deacons, which is why they deserve our honor and our respect as a church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you would help us to utilize deacons well in the church and that you would confirm if it is your desire to appoint Calvin and Jason to this role. And if it is that you would give them the strength necessary to be faithful to this task, that you would even increase them in godliness and in faithfulness and continue to give them a love and a passion both for you and for the church, not allowing them to to lag in faithfulness in any responsibility to their family, to their work, or to the church, but they would be faithful in all things and honor you in that. Father, we want to honor you as a church. And so we seek more elders, more deacons, because we, we want to, to, be, to follow you. Lord, we, we delight in the fact that we are not a senior pastor-led church, but that you are our head. And so we pray that you would lead us through your word and as you sovereignly uh, direct us as a church according to our circumstances. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.